welcome to Inklings. I am Emily Bell Freeman, and I'm so excited to welcome you to a space where you and I get to experience a hint of something more together. This is a community where we lean into discussions that will help us obtain a bedrock understanding of the doctrines of Christ. Not overnight, but every day better. Strength gathered over time. There is a place for you here. Looking forward to spending the semester with you as we embark on a journey focused on becoming His. Good morning. Hi, Inklings. It's me. It's not Emily. She is in Europe this morning, or more than this morning, obviously. She's there for a few days and overlapped on a Thursday. So she asked if I could hop on, and I always love to say yes. Okay. I am so excited. Hi, Lindsay. We are going to chat with Vanessa Quigley, who I think you guys are familiar with. I'm pretty sure she is a phenomenal woman, and I actually just had the opportunity to hear her speak. Okay, there she is. Invitation. Um, okay, so happy Thursday. We're so excited to jump in. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Vanessa. Good morning. Good morning. Yay. Um, I, in your car. I'm in my car. It made more sense. I was, place you can find? <laughs> pretty much right now. Just in between all the errands. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm so glad we get to do this. Um, so fun. Love, love that Emily's in Europe. It's been fun to read the things that she's been sharing on her trip. I know it is so fun that that woman just goes. So I was excited. I always love the opportunity to hop on here and reconnect with the Inklings ladies. I love this group so much. Um, if they are not familiar with you, I'm sure most of them are, but just in case, do you want to just do a brief little introduction? Sure. Yeah. I was able to chat with Emily about one of the conference talks last. Um, oh, good. I talked to um, okay. Elder Vaisekahema. Um, okay. My- Order. Um, but I, um, I live in Utah. I have seven kids. My oldest is 27. My youngest is 14. And I've been running a business for the last eight years with my husband called Chatbooks. So oh, I care God. about strengthening families and the gospel of Jesus Christ is my favorite thing ever. And so I love this chance oh, to, to dig in and talk about conference and Jesus and the scriptures. And this community here is incredible. Someone just asked if Emily is speaking in Europe or is she just traveling for fun do you know I don't know actually okay I'm not sure but she I know how I gotta close my blinds real fast um she's been visiting um what does she call them churches like a church where that holds like a relic of some miracle okay haven't seen her Instagram post check her stories from yesterday she visited this beautiful church that I don't even know where it is but it, it holds a statue of Jesus that um apparently cried real tears once and it was like this miracle they search around it and again she's challenging us to look for and expect miracles in our everyday life and anyway she's awesome pilgrimage yes there you go yes pilgrimage i'm so excited to talk about this talk this is this i mean it's hard to choose a favorite right ever yeah this one is so loaded with good stuff um, how should we dig in? How, where do we want to begin? Should we begin with the, one of the scriptures that Emily shared? 
Maybe so. And if you guys need a refresher where we are today, so we're in Elder Holland's talk, fear not, believe only. And then Emily provided scriptures, Luke 12, Luke 14, 12, 14, 12 to 24 and and Mark five and Mark five. Okay. So that's kind of where we'll be today. I know Vanessa and I were talking and it all weaves together so well. So it is hard to find like a starting point, but maybe we'll kind of use the talk as like a little bit of a order and we'll kind of go through it. Um, I mean, yeah. And (laughs) Vanessa and I are also talking, we are both recovering from like some nasty cough cold and I cannot kick it. So if I hurt myself, I feel good right now. I got my water. Hopefully I won't start coughing like crazy. Okay, good. Okay, Um, good. One of the things that was so fun about Elder Holland's talk is how we started off with a story about the little girl's letter and he put up an image of it um, about how like, what was she saying about how conferences miserable or boring or whatever. And I just have to say, I felt that when I was her age, but I'm at the age right now where I just like am so desperate for conference and I'm holding on to every word. And you know, as a kid sitting through all of those sessions did feel like torture, but now it's just like more and more, I need more. And now that I'm like an older mom and my kids are older, like I'm listening for things that I personally need, but I'm also just listening so intently for what I hope my kids hear because they're in this phase of life where they are out of my, I mean, most five of my kids are out of my home and they are out making their own choices. And the world is a, is a very different place than it was when I left home and, and started my life as an adult. And so I, as I listened to this conference talk, I was just really, really listening through the ears. I hope that my kids were listening and, and the things that they were taking from it. Um, so anyway, and he just, he nailed it. So um, what, what do you want to start with? I don't know. I, I, with, I also, I re-listened to it too. Sometimes I'll just read them, but re-listening to him, he had such a plea in him. And I loved that. And it like the beginning to the end, there was like this pleading and <clears throat> it just had like a intensity about it. That was really endearing. Like he just really, really, really was pleading with us parents of these youth too, to just dig in and, and really sink our teeth into these words because it just I don't know that intensity from him was really touching to me again to re-listen to (laughs) but I would say at the beginning one thing that came to mind that was I was actually kind of surprised by sorry you guys okay so he says his plea for the youth right and he talks to the parents of the youth and the youth specifically but I thought when he said let me find, okay, right here. When they are looking, right? They, how painful it is. Oh, they, he talked about the phenomena of um, that class that was offered and how quickly it filled up where it was a study of psychology and the good life. And it was just incredible how many people were just like drawn to that. And they noted when it was written about this phenomena, one journalist noted how painful it is to see so many bright young students and adults desperately looking for something they've lost or worse yet, longing for something they never had. And that, for some reason, my mind kind of fast forwarded because I know there's been a slew of youth that have chosen a different path and have um, kind of lost their active participation in the gospel. 
And I just kind of started to think like, wow, I wonder if we'll see a lot of this kind of in the near future of these people looking again, kind of for something that they're like, man, I, I feel like some, I'm missing something or maybe it's something that they never had a really deep conversion. But I just kind of started to think like, what will be my role, especially as a parent, but for those youth, or I think about my younger siblings, like what is my role then when they start to really look and ask those questions again and try to find the answers and they're kind of wandering, like, do I, did I keep those relationships whole and full of love and understanding so that they, so that I'm a person that they can come back to and be like, Hey, I know you're still participating in the gospel. It's been coming to mind. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of telling myself a story, but I just kind of thought there's a lot of wandering right now. And some people need that to kind of figure out where they are. But I just wonder if we'll start to see like this searching in, in, in just so many mm -hmm. uh, of our friends and family. And they start to ask these questions again. And they're like, I once had it and I lost it. And I'm trying to find that again. And I want to feel like I want to make sure I'm keeping those relationships in a place where they're tethered still to it. And maybe I can be a little bit of that tether to kind of come back to. Um, anyway, that was something that came to mind. I don't know. That is totally where I am right now in my, mm -hmm. in my parenting journey. You know, my seven kids, you know, we, we lived the gospel of Jesus Christ and we followed the prophet. And, you know, as my kids have gotten older and moved out of the house, they've had experiences that have caused them to have to, you know, really dig deep and figure out like, is this really what I want? And as a parent, that's terrifying. Like really, really scared. I remember when my oldest was 15. Um, he said something about like, well, I might not go on a mission and I don't really think I want to get married in the temple. And I freaked out because I was like, no, that can't be happening. You know, like, what have I done wrong? Like, why would he be thinking that? And my, my son, my husband was like, babe, no, this is, this is the right time to be asking these questions. Like while he's still in our home and while we still have an influence on him and we still, you know, we'll take him to church with us. And you have a lot more influence on your kids when they are under 18 and living at home than you do when they move out and are adults. And um, so we're in this place where I don't feel like I have the same kind of influence that I used to, but what you just said is so important. And that is where I'm holding on to that. If I maintain that relationship, and continue to live my life as a disciple of Jesus Christ, who is honoring my covenants and who's doing all of the things that one day they might stray from what I've taught them and from the path that I want them to be on. But I have all of the confidence in the world that one day they will come back because that the gospel is where the most peace and joy and gratitude comes from. And there's so much stuff in the world right now that like, honestly, just thinking about like career only for my kids. Like when my husband and I went to college, it was like, well, we knew five people who did these things. So it's one of those things or nothing. Right. But now with the internet and technology, you can deep dive into the most obscure career paths ever. And so my kids that are going to college and are trying to figure out like, what am I going to do with my life? It's not so clear cut. It's like completely overwhelming. And I think that's one of the reasons why anxiety levels are like higher than ever with young people, because the access to information, not only like what they're going to do with their career, but with their life and the choices they're making. How can I 
um, like, who's going to be my governing authority? Like in our family growing up, it was always like, we follow the prophet. That is what we do. We always turn to the prophet for the answers. But now there are like prophets and prophetesses on the internet in social media telling them what to do. And it's so confusing. But if I maintain that relationship with my kids that's rooted in love and in the gospel of Jesus Christ, I, that is the only way that I can sleep at night and rest at night, knowing that straying sometimes from the path is, might be part of their plan. It might be part mm -hmm. of him becoming mm -hmm. who they need to be, the leader that they need to be. Um, and then just having faith that if I just keep doing my part, it's mm -hmm. all okay. This is why this title alone, fear not, believe only. Like this is my mantra because yes, I have a lot of fear. Like I can mm -hmm. lay in bed at night and just not even be able to sleep because I'm so scared for what my kids are facing and for all of the influences and the voices and the anxiety and the stress and mental health. Like it's mm -hmm. terrible. Um, but I choose to believe, and that is the only way that I. I can sleep at night. Yeah. And I love that you said choose to do your part because we have to be so aware of what is in our control and what isn't. And the way they use their agency isn't. And we, and someone I'm reading the comments and they're so good, you guys, but we all fought for that same right to choose. And because we knew and God knew and Christ knew that that with that choice, with our ability to do that comes with deeper meaning of, the reason why we are making certain choices because then right. we learn from that and so i love that you said that maybe sometimes these different paths that we maybe would not have chosen for our kids that they chose who are we to say that that's actually not that's not where you were supposed to go we don't get to see that bigger picture we don't get to see the end from the beginning and but that whole it just is all kind of part of it for some of those of those youth. And we all kind of do that a little bit, right? None of us are walking right in that perfect line. There's going to be those curves and those bumps and those hills and ups and downs. And I actually have re recently having a conversation with my younger sister who is on this path and she, she's exploring a lot right now. And, and as much as I want to say, it's not my favorite thing for you. I just, the biggest thing that kept coming to mind is like, I'm not going to come and tell you how you should use your agency. And right now this is bringing you happiness and it's exploring who you are. And if that is a part of your journey, I love you for it. And I just, I'm here for you and I want you to be able to tell me all about it. But I just kind of walked away from that conversation, even though our values and different beliefs are starting to misalign. I don't want our relationship to. And I was just like, if anything, I want her to know that like the relationship that we have as siblings, the way we were like, I'm holding on to that so that she can always come back to me, whether it's an active participant in the gospel or not. But I want her to be able to come back to this, the light and love and joy that I feel and hopefully, hopefully exude. Um, one of you guys <clears throat> also said that I love so much. One of the things that is our, in our control is how we talk about the gospel and how we showcase how it makes us feel. And if that is positive and joyful, and we talk about the way it blesses our lives versus the way sometimes it might feel hindering or limiting, those things stand out with kids, you know, they take note of those things. And so if in their home, they're seeing someone living the gospel in joy and, and they, they love doing it for these certain reasons, that doesn't mean it's always easy, but just seeing them cling to their why, I just think, that is, 
that is a really cool thing that we do have in our control of how we are um, exemplifying what the gospel brings and how it how it blesses our lives and how it just enriches um because they'll take note of that they will and it's and the opposite too they'll take note if we're always kind of complaining or we oh there's just so much on my plate with the church or i feel guilty about this or i don't really want, like they're going to take note of that too and it has a different feeling and someone commented that that sometimes that's all you can count on your kids taking from your home is just the feeling that was there they might not remember all the family night lessons and all the specific little one-on-one chats you had like oh that was a really good one they might not remember those word for word but they're going to remember that feeling that they can hopefully take and kind of build off of right so good and i was really i was really lucky to have parents that did that like they they served tirelessly and happily and joyfully. And they were incredible examples as I watched them live the gospel. Um, and I'm the oldest of 12 kids too, which just gives a little context <laughs> in my house growing up. Um, we were sporadic on regular scripture study. Like there were mm-hmm. things that you would think like would guarantee like outcomes for you, like how your children are going to turn out. Mm-hmm weren't always like 100% on because it was just, you know, trying to survive with 12 kids. Um, But one of the things that I think is different for this generation raising kids right now than back then is it's, it's, it is really important to, to live it. But I feel like, and I kind of wish I had done more talking about it. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, I wear my garments every day, night and day. I always have, I always will. I love them, but I've never had a conversation until recently (laughs) with my kids about why I do that. Mm -hmm. And there are so many other voices just talking about this topic in in particular about garments. There's so many other voices on the internet and on social media telling kids, telling young people that, or showing them that you don't really have to wear them. And I'm like, well, where's my voice? Like, Mm -hmm. has it been enough to just model that for them? Or should I have been talking more about it? And so Mm -hmm. I'm trying to make up for that now. And I'm just thinking if I could go back and do it again, I would talk more about mm-hmm. the things that are important to me. And I remember hearing this theme coming out in conferences, like for the last you know, 10, 15 years about how we need to speak of Christ, speak of Christ. And I, I was like, huh, yeah, we should do that. Didn't really do that in my home growing up. Like we went to church, we followed the prophet, we were, you know, we did the things, but it wasn't like, and I'm not saying it wasn't a Christ-centered home. It's just mm-hmm. we didn't really speak of yeah. Christ. It was maybe I felt like it was too sacred or I don't know. But I made a conscious effort to try to speak more of Christ in a daily. And Emily is so great at this. She can mm-hmm. weave stories. She can bring Christ into and out of everything. And following her example, trying to do that more. So that if my kids do decide that they they don't want to follow the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They will maintain that relationship with Christ because that is the anchor, right? That's so true. And that comes up later in Elder Holland's talk. Um, I also want to say too, a fantastic companion to this talk is stay in the boat and hold on by mm-hmm. President Ballard, right? Um, oh my gosh. So I pulled that talk up and read that as well this week. And it was so cool to read them both side by side um because maybe we jump ahead there a little bit um let's see can i just say something about the boat yes i think that that is an analogy that is 
going around with um, <clears throat> young people today because I heard mm -hmm. my daughter say something about there was the broccoli. Okay. Mm -hmm. The broccoli. Yes. Her way. And she was like talking to me about this issue that she thought was preventing her from being in the boat. Mm -hmm. And she, she said, yep, I just don't think I could be in the boat because of this issue. And, um, and as we continue to talk, she, she has a testimony of Jesus Christ. She believes in Joseph, but there are things that she does believe. And mm -hmm. I just reminded her, babe, you're in the boat. Mm -hmm. You might have a toe like dragging a little bit. And if you're not, you know, it might help steer you off course, but you can be safe and assured that you are in the boat. And I mm -hmm. think there's like, I don't know why so many people are looking for the one thing to be like, oh, done. Can't yeah. do it. Um, yeah. I think it's complicated and it probably has to do with a lot of other things. And I think using that in the boat analogy, I'm just personally trying to remind my kids that they're all still very much in the boat. And sometimes yeah. we hit, and sometimes we get off course and sometimes we get stuck in the weeds or a little eddy. But yeah. um, part of the reason why they're in the boat is because they're mine. And yeah. I'm honoring my covenants and they are bound to me. You know how like mm -hmm. being down, you know, the Prova River, that's everyone's doing that right now. You get all the tubes together and you tie them all together so that no one gets apart. Like I just shared that analogy with my, with my kids that you're, you're bound to me. Like we're not yeah. going to. Yeah. And maybe it's, uh, yeah, I actually totally agree because I remember um, a couple of years ago, someone, a friend of mine writing a really long social media post about the boat of the church and using that analogy to kind of explain why she was choosing to leave because there were all these different cracks in the boat and she felt like it was sinking and she was just really hung up on these on these pieces of the boat that just didn't feel sound to her and so she kind of she took it a whole nother direction um but part of it that i that i started to kind of understand that i was like okay i wonder if there's something there where she said she used components you know of that larger boat to build their own boat. And I'm like, okay, okay, I can see that, but there's still this, there's still this whole boat, right? And, and what I, and Vanessa, we actually talked about this when we got together with um, Emily and some other Inklings um, people. And we talked about how there are those core doctrines of the gospel. And then there are those fringe elements or the appendages. And President Ballard brings it up in his talk and he says, let me find it, because uh, it's a quote by Joseph Smith. And he says, the fundamental principles of our religion are the testimonies of apostles and prophets um, and concerning Jesus Christ, that he died, was buried, and rose again on the third day and ascended into heaven. And then he said, and all other things are only appendages to these. And so when I start to think about these these reasons and they're valid you guys they are valid um concerns of those that feel like they can't stay and so i don't want to discredit them i don't want to brush them to aside because i understand that they can feel like a really big hole and and so i don't want to discredit that but i personally try to look at okay that thing there that i don't totally <laughs> totally understand or don't know quite how to hold on to that's there. I'm not going to ignore it, but that isn't one of the reasons why I am staying in the gospel. So I'm not going to let it be one of the reasons that I walk away as well. And I think um, it's difficult to see 
what people are willing to let go of in exchange for just one thing that isn't sitting quite right, especially when there, there are things that we don't know fully yet that even the prophets are waiting for clearer direction on and understanding. And it's this ongoing and living restoration of the gospel that like, even they're probably hanging on every thread of like, we need more, they're begging for more. And so they're sharing as much as they know right now in the timing that is appropriate for us. But when Elder Holland says, let me find <coughs> where he says, take up the cross. It's so good. Um, let's I love see. Okay. Comments. She says, wouldn't we rather yes. hang on parts of the boat rather than be tossed around in the rapids of the river? Yes. It's so true. That's the way I, that's the way I feel. Yes. It's the constant, right? And he says, so Elder Holland says, if some are not resolved to the satisfaction of everyone, because he says that he, Elder Holland recognizes there are challenges that are not resolved. And if they're not to the satisfaction of everyone, perhaps they constitute part of the cross. Jesus said we would have to take up in order to follow him. I feel like that is just that concept, that act of taking up a cross of something that you're just, okay, I'm just going to carry this. It's hard. It's heavy but I'm going to carry this. And I know Christ will help me do that. That is part of Christianity. That is part of being an active participant in the gospel. If it were all, if it all made sense, if it all was just like perfectly like, Oh, clear as clear as day, there wouldn't be this element of faith or trust or like leaning on something like, okay, I'm going to trust a little longer and pray and hold on to the truth that things are revealed in due time. You know, like I just holding on to those things, there would not be that act of faith if everything were laid out before us at all times and all things made sense to our carnal and human minds. That's just not how it is here on earth. It is perfect and whole heaven side. But while we're here, there's a lot that we're just still waiting to receive, still don't understand. And that is okay. That doesn't mean that there is, it is flawed or broken. It just means that things will come in this life or the next. But are those the things that we're anchoring ourselves to or our testimonies to? Or are we anchored to that, those doctrinal principles of just that, like, I know that Christ is my brother. I know that I'm created as, and, you know, as God's child. And, and core things like that, are we holding on to those and, and willing to also carry and hold in another hand these things that don't always make sense. And it's hard, you guys. It's hard. I, even as I'm saying it, I'm like, it's just tough. It's just tricky, you know? But we just, we do. And we, and we kind of keep navigating that. Um, and then he kind of goes into that, the feast thing where he's just like, come for the whole feast, even if you're not totally sure about the broccoli. Yeah. Uh, Brianna is listing some of the core truths that we can hold on. I love that here. Cool. And then, yeah, this was, this is kind of the sentence that led it into what you just read, where um, Elder Holland said, the leaders of the church are giving their lives, giving their lives to seeking the Lord's guidance and resolution. Yes. I think so often it's characterized as, oh, they're selfish, they're greedy, mm -hmm. like power hungry, they're closed-minded. I do not believe that. And I think if you watch Elder Holland ever speak mm -hmm. this talk or the, the, the talk that he gave at BYU that got so much criticism, 
I sensed pain. It pained, it must pain him to see how much hurt there is in the world, yet not have the answers, but know will come. And mm -hmm. his not our time. And if it is, if it's hard for an apostle of Jesus Christ to be in that like waiting space or that middle mm -hmm. ground, gray area, like, yeah, it's going to be hard for us. Yeah. But I feel like for me, this is a great test of my life. It's like, where am I? What am I going to do? Am I going to mm -hmm. throw it all away? Am I going to leave the feast because of the broccoli? Or am I going to hold on core truths that I can't deny and then just hope that and have faith in and trust that everything mm -hmm. work out. It gets personal sometimes when some of these issues affect people that you love. But this is why this is why the gospel is so true and pure because it is about love. And we yeah. there are no bounds on how we can and should show love. And if we just mm -hmm. always lean into love, love for God first, and then love for um, others, I think we're going to find our way. And we can have, um, you know, that sunny side of the street. That was one of the things that Elder Holland talked about is trying to stay on the sunny side of the street mm -hmm. amidst all of the complexity and the hard things and the heartbreak. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that is naturally easier for some people. Some people just naturally have like a sunnier disposition and they can like put the bad stuff like on the back burner and just focus on the, on the good. My mom is very good at this. Mm -hmm. We used to tease her that she looked at life through rose colored glasses. Um, you know, 12 kids, always a million pets, tons of friends, house, you know, she was a very good housekeeper, but with that many people coming and going, <laughs> fair amount of chaos but always just so happy and cheerful. And we would tease her as obliv being oblivious. But as I am now um, a mother myself, I don't think she was oblivious. I think she was making a choice to focus on the things that really matter and that are within mm -hmm. her and let the other stuff go. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned the course, the Lori Santos course from Yale that um, Elder mm -hmm. Holland talked about, about being happy, the psychology of happiness. Um, we years ago, Chapbooks did a whole campaign called Live Happy. We were trying to help people see that wonderful, magical things are happening every day in our families. And sometimes our mm -hmm. brains, it's, it's like psychology. Our brains are wired to see the negative, right? It's mm -hmm. like, a, it's a primitive like protection mechanism to like seek out negativity so that we can guard ourselves and protect our families. You actually have to train yourself to live happy, to think happy. Mm -hmm. And um, Lori Santos was actually, um, her course, that Yale course, we, she gave it at Yale as a professor, but then she made it available to the whole public. So we had everyone in our team take the course. I took the course. Um, and the whole time I was listening to all of the things that she was sharing, I was like, this is just the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like yeah. this is, I've learned this my whole life. And it is all rooted in gratitude and kindness. Mm -hmm. Those mm -hmm. are the pillars for a happy life gratitude and kindness. And mm -hmm. uh, thinking about this analogy of the feast that Elder Holland came up with, um, how many of us have created, prepared a feast for our families? And the first thing that someone says when they sit down at the dinner table is, ooh, I don't like that. <sighs> Does anyone else feel the rage? All the time. <laughs> <laughs> Super defensive of me if that ever happens. He's usually the first one to go down. you like, you don't have to like it, but you can't complain about it, right? Because there's something about like, being able to sit there with something uncomfortable, whether it's broccoli. Actually, I had a son who had a thing about fruit. 
He didn't like to eat fruit. He didn't like to smell fruit. He couldn't look at fruit. It was insane. And so sometimes when I, there was fruit served at the dinner table, I would put the picture of, you know, juice in front of it so he didn't have to look at it. Um, but uh, we, you know, as we continue to grow mature, he actually outgrew that. I'm happy to say he can sit at the table with a piece of watermelon and not freak out. Um, as we continue to grow and develop personally and in the gospel, um, and as we continue turning back to Christ and to the scriptures and to the prophet, I think we can find a way to be comfortable in the complexity and look on the sunny side of the street, be on the sunny side mm -hmm. of the street. There is so much to be grateful for. Mm -hmm. um, Emily shared a little while ago, a uh, Instagram post, something was circulating about like all the bad things about the church and all the cultural things that she didn't like. And it got a lot of traction. And then this young woman made a post about all the things that she liked that didn't get any attention in the last, you know, viral post and shared that Emily shared it. Thousands of other people shared it. And it was just so interesting to see how you can look at like circumstances completely different way. Um, and we get to choose how we are going to look at those circumstances. That's going to affect our own happiness. But as we stated in the beginning, it's also going to affect how our kids look at things. That's um, so true. And as you say that, I, I'm remembering a lesson that I gave um, young women like years ago. And I actually shared a post about it. It's been a while. So I might bring it up again because it was so neat to see. Um, okay, actually, before I get that, because I just had another thought about, about this kind of, um, you guys know Tony Robbins. He's like my husband's coach. So we talk about Tony Robbins. And he has the phrase, focus goes, or energy flows where your focus goes, or vice versa, right? Where your focus goes, energy flows. And this is so incredibly true for every aspect of our lives, that no matter where our focus is, we are, whether we like it or not, whether we want to admit it or not, we are putting our energy there. And it's just kind of like this phenomenon as humans that happens that whatever we are focusing on, are thinking about, are obsessing over, are really holding on to, we are giving energy to it. And naturally it will find us too. Like we'll run into people that are thinking about the same thing or we'll happen upon something like, oh my gosh, I was just thinking about this. It just kind of attracts these similar things. And so being so intentional about our focus, especially with the gospel in context of the gospel is just crucial. Cause if we are so much focused on those little things about the culture that we don't like, or, um, doctrinal things that are just like, Oh, well, I, I just can't figure out where this sits. The more and more we focus and obsess over that, the more we're going to draw energy towards it and find people that have the same kind of concerns. And in a lot of ways that can be unhealthy and, Whereas if we can say, okay, that is there. I see that that's there. But I'm going to shift my focus here to what I do know and what does feel good and comfortable and right. And naturally those things kind of help offset what might be feeling not as well over here. And, and so anyway, that's just a concept that I constantly have to tell myself, like, what am I constantly thinking about right now? And I don't think that's serving me and where I want to go. Um, but the other thing I wanted to share is this lesson that I taught in young women. And um, I, didn't I didn't realize the impact it would have because um, I, I didn't realize how myself included, we discredit the light that we have to give. And I bring it up because right after he talks about the broccoli, 
um, Elder Holland says, bask in his light and lend your candle to the cause. And I love this. Um, and so when he says, lend your candle to the cause, this is, this is what came to mind. And I taught this lesson years ago is we, Jesus Christ is the source of this light that we have, this light of Christ, but how it exudes from us, how we shine that forth is going to be so different for each one of us. And so when I taught this lesson, I actually turned off all the lights in the room for these young women, and I had different kinds of lights there. And one by one, I turned them each on so they could each have their own little focus. And the first one was bistro lights. And if you know me, you know how much I love bistro lights. It like adds charm and happiness to any, <clears throat> any event or anything, right? There's just like, oh, you see bistro lights and you're like, I want to be there. That looks so fun. So we talked about bistro lights and these little, and kind of Christmas lights are the same thing, string lights and the feeling that, that, that they gave off in the darkness. And the girls loved it. They loved describing that. So then we turned those off and then I turned on a flashlight and we talked about what kind of light that exuded. And it was very, it was direct and it was something that, you know, um, illuminated a path before and it was really sure. And usually that light is given to someone who is leading is someone in the front. So we talked about that light and then we turned it off and then we turned on a candle. We talked about what that did to the room and they said things like warm and you can share each other's lights like candles. You can, you can easily give light to others and there's a comforting to it and it's very soft, but it has the same light effect. So anyway, we talked about these and then I gave them each cards three with those kinds of lights and one by one, I had the girls stand up and I said, I want you to hold up a picture of what kind of light you think this you know, your fellow sister here exudes. And they loved seeing what kind of light that they were, kind of being reminded of that. Because I think what Satan does is he, I think one of the worst things <clears throat> that he can do to our light is convince us that it should be more like someone else's. Like, oh, well, yours isn't as strong because it should be more direct, like so-and-so over here. People aren't even noticing yours. And so we we diminish and we discredit the light that we do have because we wished it looked more like so-and-so's over here that's bistro lights and is always positive and outgoing and looking for the good. Or we wish we wish we could be a better example, like the flashlight over here and that we were more direct. Um, or we wish that we could be more service oriented and giving of our light and the soft spoken, you know, the kind that you go to and you just want someone to listen. Like there's so many different kinds but very quickly, we think that we should be like someone else's because it's easier to recognize the light in other people. And so I just say that because it's been helpful for me to recognize like, okay, lend my candle, lend my light to the cause. What is that? It doesn't have to look like the person next to me. I have my own unique way of reflecting his light. He is the source, but how do I connect with others? And I don't need to fabricate it or put on something. And if it's not your favorite thing to get on stories on social media and talk about religion, you don't have to. Right now, it kind of feels like you do. Like, oh, I should probably be brave. And you don't have to. If it's more about you and having conversations in your home or with those in your ward, like that's, that's where you can shine the brightest. And if we're trying to mimic, I think we're losing a little bit of what God gave us from the beginning of like, hey, I, I brought you here in this very specific time with this specific way to shine my light. 
And I want you to use that. Don't worry about how other people are doing it. Tap into what I gave you. And anyway, so it's kind of in the exercise, like your mom and like, she's bistro lights. Like she's the one that's just like happy and optimistic and you want to be around. So it's kind of fun to think about. I'll have to find the graphics for you guys and share them. But um, it was a neat exercise to recognize like, oh, I do have a gift and other people see it too, but we forget. Well, and that reminds me of what Emily shared on the Instagram post from the story of the Jarius and um, the one with the issue of the blood, you know, like she, those parables, um, as I was reading them, thinking about Jarius being there and he has a major problem, right? His daughter has died and he needs a miracle and comes to Jesus. Um, and, and then quietly the woman with the issue of blood touches the robe and that example of faith, it wasn't flashy. She wasn't, she didn't have a spotlight on her. She hadn't come with the parade of people to, you know, beckon Christ. She just quietly reached out her hand in faith. And, um, Emily posed the question on the Instagram post of, um, was the woman who touched Christ's robe, a light bringer to Jarius? And you're asking for a miracle to cure your daughter. You have to have a measure of faith for that, but there's gotta be part of you that's like, I don't need, I don't know if it's gonna happen. But to see that quiet example, light to that moment. And thinking about all of the different ways that we shine our lights. I love, love that analogy that you shared in your lesson. And some of us are going to be big spotlights and some of us are going to be quietly working in the background or in the crowd of people. But all of that adds to the light that comes into this world that has so much darkness and heaviness. Um, I love that so much. So, so good. (laughs) You guys, your comments are so, so good. I actually just saw one that I really love. (coughs) Sorry, excuse me. Um, I think we give the adversary too much credit. It's kind of true. I often say, oh, the adversary. I mean, being human, these things are just natural to us. The way we aren't very kind to ourselves, it's not necessarily the adversary. It's just human in us to sometimes break ourselves down and sometimes be our worst critic and things like that. So it is true. That is interesting just to kind of note um, that like the adversary, you know, gosh, dang those temptations. But sometimes it's really just us being human and being hot on ourselves or being defensive or prideful, those things just come up. And I feel like being gentle with ourselves, being kind with ourselves, checking in often with the savior really helps us just soften those edges. When, when we do kind of feel those come on, um, rope lights guys, they're so good. Someone commented earlier when we were talking about, um, being on the sunny side of the street, that sometimes it's impossible because some people struggle with mental health and, and I have people dear to me, children, family members who really, really struggle with mental health. And I will say, yes, it is impossible to feel anything sometimes other than despair and depression and anxiety. And it has nothing to do with Jesus. Um, it's just, it's a physical ailment like a cold or COVID or whatever that can, that can befall us. And it can get confusing and feel like it is a distancing from God or, um, but Elder Holland, he's given several talks that have really, really addressed this and tried to help us sort out, um, figure out how to think about mental health and our spirituality. And 
I don't know if anyone else felt this, but I was like, as this talk was going, it was just like, yes, yes, this is so good. Light, yes, patience. And then he talks about suicide. Did anyone else feel like a little bit of whiplash there? I did because I don't struggle with mental health. And so my brain never goes there. Like I sometimes get frustrated with life, like normal, you know, everyday frustrations and whatever. But it, in that second, I realized, oh yeah, this isn't my story, but it is the story for so many people, including a couple of my children. Um, one of the ways that we can, in trying to figure out how to love appropriately people who are struggling with the broccoli or whatever the issue is, is to know their stories. Because um, there are people who are really suffering. And whether it's um, with a policy of the church or with mental health, like closing our eyes and being blind to it and blissfully living our own life, you know, that's one strategy. But it doesn't allow you to fully shine your light and help other people. You can't help people if you don't know their stories. And their stories can be uncomfortable and they can be painful. Once you know what other people are suffering, it's, it's harder to like, you know, sometimes in, in the moment, feel your own joy and peace, but it allows us to become more like Christ and minister the way he would have us minister. And thinking about suicide in particular, um, I had a, a conception in my mind that you don't ever want to talk about it because you would never want anyone to get that idea in their mind. But I have since learned that that's like the worst thing you can do. Like if you, if you have someone in your life that you think is suicidal or thinking about suicide, you have to talk about it and you have to be direct about it. You can't skirt around it, hint at it. The best thing you, you can do is ask directly. And I'm so grateful that Elder Holland just directly addressed it here. And in the, as he was talking about it in, um, in the talk, this is actually what he says in talking about the light and the light that we all have in us, even though sometimes we can't feel it, there are going to be times and there are going to be people who can't feel that light because of mental health issues. But he says that light was given to protect you and to teach you. One of its central messages is that life is the most precious of all gifts, a gift which is obtained eternally only through the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to talk about, you know, suicide is not the answer. It might feel like the answer. And so I just wanted to take a moment here with this amazing group of women that if there is somebody in your life that you are worried about, um, get them talking. Those thoughts and feelings just start becoming um, like just bounce around in an echo chamber. And if you can't get them out, you can never get help. So don't be afraid to ask hard questions. Don't be afraid to ask if someone is thinking of suicide. If they're thinking about it, they're thinking about it. Talking about it is not going to make it more likely to happen. It's actually the only way to get help. And I just wanted to remind people that there are resources to help. There's a new national hotline number, 988. 911 is the number to call if somebody is in mortal danger and um, critical happening in the moment. But 988 is a 24-7 hotline in the U.S. to anyone can call at any point in their mental health journey. You don't have to be, you know, on the brink of suicide to call that number. You can call, anyone can call if they're having any stresses or anxiety or depression or just need someone to talk to. Um, I just think the more we know about how to help people who are struggling in this way, um, the better off we all are. And just not being afraid of it. 
this is this is the life that we're living guys this is the world that we're in mm -hmm. and pretending it's not a thing isn't helping anybody yes absolutely um i love that oh, i'm trying to think where i just read this it might have been in come follow me uh where christ sat down at a table and like faced i might have to come back to it it was something about how like we like what you just said it's this gospel and what Christ preaches is never just to kind of turn away from these things that are hard. And, and in the scripture I read, it was something about that. He'll sit with us right in front of those things that are hard and just be like, okay, like, let's tackle this together. You and me, we can do this, you know? And I love that. And so we covered a lot today. That was a really awesome conversation. You guys and your comments are always so good, but I just, it is so great to have a place where we can talk about and, and help each other recognize the lights that we do have oh, and are. I'm so glad someone shouted out the emotional resilience class. Yes. Oh, it is so good. And I know yeah. not everyone, I think some wards are making it part of like a rotation. Yeah. But I say just find it on LDS.org and take it yourself. Like yeah. it is so, so, so good. Um, and I think especially if for someone who doesn't, hasn't struggled with mental health, it's so hard to wrap your mind around how to help people mm -hmm. who are. That is a, that's a great place to start. Yes. That, there are so many resources. There are just so many resources that we have um, that sometimes we overlook or just forget. So really good. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Vanessa, thank you so much. I'm going to save this. Emily did not give me the like slide. So <laughs> our faces might be in the feed. It just will be us. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, you guys. Happy Thursday. <laughs> Comments. This was so uplifting. I loved so it. So good. So, so, so good. Okay, we'll see ya. Thanks for joining me. This podcast is taken from our Thursday Inklings discussions, which happen live on Instagram at inklings.institute. If you loved being here, I'd love to invite you to go even deeper with me, get reminders, and enjoy first access to all our events and gatherings by going to emilybellfreeman.com backslash inklings.